So good to see you guys this morning. Incredible. If you're new, we have been going through a series, We is Greater Than Me. And what the heartbeat of that is saying is we want to catch that we as a body, we as believers are stronger than me going through my life by myself, for myself. There's greatness. There's power. There's strength. There's, there's different giftings. There is beauty in the we. Gonna be a bit more wheat later on after we finish baptisms in the pool. It gets warmer, so if you're f- last, go last. It's warm, and just don't overthink why it's warm. But uh, we is greater than cold. That's our next preaching series, and so um, you're all thinking. I just had to say anyway. There's, there's there's strength in us together, and so we've been going through that the last few weeks, speaking about us as a body of Christ and things God does in the body of Christ. We went through 1 Corinthians 11, looking at the beauty uh, in that, that, that difference there. We, we said we want unity in diversity, not uniformity. And we can't push that enough. If everyone here is like, oh, I can't wait for my one day to be the worship leader, or I can't wait for my one day to be uh, the preacher, then we're just kind of striving for this idol, this this fake end goal that, that shouldn't be in the body of Christ. The, the beauty is when you be the best you, God created you to be. And so something else we've been hammering is you do you, just not only for you. We want you to be you. And we spoke about that. In this church, there is such a diversity here. We want you to be the best you you can be, but I'm convinced the gospel you is not just for you. Uh, the world is saying, you do you right now. You have your truth, you have your journey, you have your path, and that's good, and I can't judge you on that path. And that sounds pretty, but what it creates is a very narcissistic culture, very self-focused, all about me. As long as I'm happy, then everyone should be happy because I'm happy. And that's just a lie. Uh, Tim Keller says a statement, I love it, I I, I live by it, I think it's so fantastic. Uh, Every human craves ultimate freedom and community. And maturity is seeing you can't have both. Say it again. Every human craves ultimate freedom. I want to be in charge of my life, do what I want, when I want. And yet at the same time, I crave to be in a community, a group of people do life together, not just sit in a service, but do life together. And maturity is seeing you can't have both. And even the married couples will know that. As soon as you get married, you, you have a healthy marriage when you don't do what you want when you want. You do what together, what's best for us. And that's all I'll say about, I think, in our country. As soon as, when we make policies around individuals, we're going to start to weaken our nation. But when we make policies around what's best for our nation, we're going to see strength. And that's, um, we don't need to go into any more politics than that. But we need to be seeing what, what's best for us, what, what's best for the, the church. I'm not making decisions based on what's best for me. Now, what's best for us? How can, how can we be the best us God has called us to be? And that's a constant thought. That's a constant prayer. And then last week, Pastor Graham did such an incredible job. Who was here for that? Can we put our hands together and thank Pastor Graham? <laughs> Speaking about friendships, and, and that's just this other beautiful thing about church. You, you won't see in many other places, but you'll see like an 18-year-old and a 6-year-old having a coffee and laughing like best mates. I'm like, that, that's... That's, there's beauty in that. There is strength in that. that. That screams something that if you're only coming and hanging out with people like you and age like you, then well, that, that's good. I'm glad you have friends in church like that. But there's strength in having diversity in friends as well. Like, I am so thankful that I have such diverse friends who help me see things in new light all the time. 
And that's, that's the beauty in that. And so we want that. We want you guys not to come in and be like, oh, there's no one in my age group anymore. Well, there's someone coming who's looking for you, but there's also strength in you being friends with someone else. And so we is greater than me. And so I'm going to, uh, I can do that in 20 minutes. We're going to speak on baptism today. And uh, something that really struck me a few months ago, we um, at our church had a, a theology day with Pastor Simon McIntyre, who helped start our movement uh, 40 years, 39 years ago. And he is now pastoring in C3 London. I think I just changed the name, sorry, C3 Fulham. And he oversees all of C3 uh, Europe for us. He's an amazing, incredible mind, such an incredible mind. And so he was out from uh, the UK and, and, and called a few C3 pastors together to a theology day. And he asked me to prep something on communion and baptism. And it just, it, it struck me yet again as I had to study and push into the, the power of water baptism. It was like a fresh revelation kind of hit me and filled me. And, and something that I want us to see again and again and again, and we're going to talk about this today, is that baptism is both personal and corporate. Baptism is both for you and for us. The water baptism moment we're going to see after our service, it's an incredibly personal moment for those getting baptized, yet at the exact same time, it's a personal moment for our whole church. Because biblically, someone is baptized into a body of believers. And so I'm going to say this with all, with love. it shouldn't be harsh, but it's at the same time, it's, there's an expectation attached to what I'm going to say. Everyone who gets baptized in our church, they now, you now have a responsibility to help them on their faith journey. I won't apologize about that. I think there is so much strength and joy and fruit in you being so outward focused. You care about someone else's walk with Jesus. And so as someone is baptized, it's kind of like, cool, I'm partnering with you now in this journey for Christ. You're, you're one of us. Now, there's strength in us. Now, we can all say, uh, and just so you know, the stance of our church, does someone need to be water baptized to get to heaven? Well, biblically, we're just going to stand on one point and say no because of the thief on the cross. I believe it's Luke chapter 23, who is, uh, Lord, remember me the day I, you enter, you know, when you're in your head. Blah, blah, blah. I tell you the truth, my son, today you'll be with me in paradise. So he wasn't water baptized, but please hear this one big statement. That's an exception, not the rule. We include exceptions. We don't build our lives on exceptions. The other thing we need to remember, uh, I can't remember what scholar, uh, academic said this. I was reading a book about Acts, a commentary, but he said that there is no such thing as an unwater baptized Christian in the New Testament after the Gospels. So yes, the thief on the cross gets to heaven. Jesus promises it, so we're going to stand on that. But after him, there's just no evidence that someone encounters the love and grace of God and doesn't get water baptized. And so we don't believe that this is a salvation moment, but we do think it is just so crucial to your walk with God and your role in the body of Christ. And so once again, it's not too late. If, uh, if God does something in your heart this service and you've either never been water baptized or you've been away from him and you want to come back to him, we've got free t-shirts, we've got towels we can lend you. Take your phone out of your pocket first and, uh, and, and come and get dunked. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you go to Acts chapter 2. Acts 
chapter 2. As you were turning there, I think we're going to have it on the screen this morning for those who don't have a Bible with them. But I want to read this quote out from you from Lawrence Hull Stuckey. He said, Through baptism, we are made and discover ourselves to be the brothers and sisters of Peter, James, John, of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus of Luther and Calvin and an infinite host of others whose names have been forgotten by us, but not by God. How cool is that? Oh, yeah, I had it up there. Thanks. You're the best. There we go. Through baptism, we are made and discover ourselves to be the brothers and sisters. Together, but also, I think, eternally, of Peter, James and John, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Luther, Calvin. Incredible. Incredible statement. Acts chapter 2. Sorry, if we can, I'm jumping all around. Acts chapter 2, picking up in verse 36. Uh, if you are new to Christianity or haven't had a chance to really look at the book of Acts yet, it's kind of the start. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four different views of Jesus' life, ministry, death, resurrection. And then straight away, it goes into the Acts. It's full name, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. And so what they did to start the church and grow the church. And this is right at the start. We see the Holy Spirit fall. We see them speaking in tongues. They go outside, and Peter gives this beautiful message, this incredible um, preach that's most of the way through Acts chapter 2, and he shows how Jesus fulfilled prophecies. He shows how the the falling and filling of the Holy Spirit is fulfilling prophecies with um, prophetic words and dreams and visions. And (coughs) Excuse me, I'm at the end of bronchitis, but I'm going to get through this. And so... um, And this is right at the end of that message. And it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Catch the response. So he's just finished his sermon. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, next one. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. And Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Very cool. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you are doing in our church, God. And we thank you today as we speak about water baptism that you will give us even greater revelations of the power and significance of this moment as we uh, join with you in the picture of your death and resurrection. I thank you, God, that a new life, a new revelation, a new hope would flow today through the words you speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a... 
a wonderful thing, isn't it, to see a child coming into this world and into our church family and raised in the house of God. And I find it fascinating reflecting on kind of the whole thing about becoming parents. When Hannah and I were becoming parents, I always, I laugh about this constantly. I remember a Christian comedian brought it up when, whenever people congratulate the father-to-be, it's like, well, thank you, but I did the one thing men think about pretty much constantly, and now I'm getting congratulated, but I will take that praise. Thank you so much. Yes, it was. And then the ladies. <sighs> ladies, um, you're amazing. And uh, we, we thank you for what you then do for nine months as you grow this beautiful life. And it's an amazing thing, I think, really looking at this, this, this whole picture of, of life coming into the world. It's when God blesses you with a child and, and as a couple you're there and you're pregnant and you're expecting, in my opinion, and uh, you can feel free to differ and you can feel free to debate all you want, but in my opinion that is a beautiful moment where we see you are parents. You, you have this life and you, you have this child growing in the womb. You are parents in that moment, yet at the same time something fairly drastic has to happen before you hold the baby in your hands. Just getting flashbacks. It's not like it just rocks up one day, right? Like you get nine months to prep yourself. You get nine months to talk about it. You get nine months to get the, the room ready. And then all hell breaks loose. And uh, there's this moment where... Once again, we're not going into detail, no personal stories, but any husbands in the room, you, you will know, what, any fathers in the room, you'll, you'll know what I mean when I say that as, as the, the wife goes through that uh, horrific thing that, that doctors will say is almost the pain of a man flu, but not quite, <laughs> not quite there, but it's so close. You guys do so well in that moment. And as... <laughs> Joke, totally joking. It's nowhere near it. But as the, as the wife is going through this moment, and, and there are so many different stories. There are so many different things, but the one thing that happens in that moment is just the bonding nature. I came out of that. Once Dawn was in our arms, I was like, my respect for my wife is like way up here. I can't even tell you how much I respect my wife and the love and appreciation. And now it's like, okay, before I, I, we were parents and I thought we were ready and now we're not ready, but we're so much more ready. It's the point I'm trying to get without getting too disgusting or grossing anyone out. It, it, you're so much, it's such a, a bonding moment where you're like, wow, we're in this together. We're in this together. And then this life comes in and doesn't come with any instructions, and it doesn't come with a user manual or a receipt. Like, if you're not satisfied in 30 days, just return it to the doctor, and uh, you'll get a full refund. It's like, none of that. It's like, you've got this living being forever, and it's like, whoa. The one thing that I was told, but you learn really quickly, if you don't have each other's backs, it's going to be an awful ride. You just have to have grace you have to have understanding. You have to have that for each other because there is just moments for both sides where you're like, I'm done, done. 
They're like, okay, just go for a walk. Uh, hand is always great. Like, just go for a quick surf because it just resets me. And I come back and I'm like, oh, child of God, I love these so much. <laughs> but you have to be in it together. Like, you, you can't do a roster format. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, well, uh, Han, you're rostered on. You start at 6 a.m. and uh, you can go to here. And then you, I'll do this night duty. You can do the next night duty. Like, there's, there's give and take, and I'm not saying you've got to get up every time the baby wakes together, but there's, it's like you're in it, to, you're in it. It's like, it's like you're in the wars, you're in the trenches together, and the baby knows where it's planting little, like, landmines around. It's trying to take you down, make no mistake about it, and, like, but you're in it together. And unless you're in it together, then there's not health, and there's there's not as much health in that relationship and in that family or in the baby. But when a parents, they've got each other's backs, you see them get through really tough times and you see them get through the highs and the lows and you see them do all these things and celebrate together and there's beauty in that, right? See, what we're going to see right now is a water birth. No, just kidding. <laughs> 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 I wish it was like the Matrix. You could plug something in. You know how he learns Kung Fu? He's like, I know Kung Fu. I'm like, I forget the birth. Like, I just want to plug something in and be like, erase, delete, like, can take the trash, go to trash, empty trash. All right, we're done. Like, but what we're going to see right now is, is people saying yes to Jesus. And I can't stress to you enough, they're also saying yes to you journeying with them and having their back in this journey. This is not just like, a, oh, good for you, see you later, all the best. Man, there's some horrible moments, but there's some good ones too, see you in heaven. It's like, welcome, welcome, welcome into the family. 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church that day, and then they went about doing fellowship, doing meals together. We see this beauty in water baptisms that we need to keep reminding ourselves of, otherwise we can slip into religion really easily, Right? Like something we say constantly is death through religion. We want to kill a religious mindset that's like, oh yeah, this is that part in the service. We do it a couple of times a year, there's water baptisms and then we're done. No, no. This is, this is a big statement for us. People getting water baptized and us. Because what it says about everyone here not getting water baptized today is, I care about other people's journey with Jesus Christ. And I'm with you in this. I'm with you. And so we see a few things in this scripture. I love it. It's, I think I've got it up there. Uh, conviction. It starts with this conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to water baptism, right? And I, I want us to catch that because it is um, something that I believe wholeheartedly is that there, there is a, a part in everyone's journey where God lovingly will convict you. A, and the conviction is not like a wait or, or you, you suck. It's like a, hey, come to me. Trust me, living your life by yourself, there's not health there. There's not fruit there. Conviction leads to repentance, which is turning to God, leads to baptism and added to the church. And, oh yeah, 1 Peter 3.21, that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response, see that word, to God from a clean conscience. It's, it's an effective, it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Conviction leads to repentance, leads to water baptism. And so what we're seeing today is this outward declaration, celebration of something God's already done. 
right? And so today is a celebration of what God has done in our life. We see in Acts 8, the, the eunuch getting, the Ethiopian eunuch getting baptized as a response to conviction. Philip read him Isaiah. Conviction led to repentance, led to water baptism. We see in Acts 16, when the jailer, he goes to, you know, all the prisoners have escaped, so he goes to kill himself. And Paul's like, no, no, I'm here, I'm here. And in that moment of, you've, you're escaped, you could have run free, but you stayed for my benefit. There's, there's this inward conviction that happens. He's like, what must I do to be saved? It says that he and his household were saved. They were water baptized that night. In Acts 10, Peter preaches the gospel at the end, and it, they start repenting, turning to God, speaking in tongues, and Peter's like, well, who can withhold water from these guys from getting water baptized as well? Like, it is all through the book that, that we see these baptism moments, and there's power in it from conviction, repentance, and what we see now is this water baptism moment. And, and what I want us to get into in the last five minutes, I just want to, I want to paint that picture of Acts. <coughs> Something I should bring up, I, I've think I need to bring up is sometimes we look at Acts 2 in this passage and we go, we should copy paste our lifestyle off that moment, okay? And I just want to bring up something that we should also get to have a healthy balance with the end of Acts chapter 2, where it says they sold all their belongings, they shared everything, you know what I mean? They, they met daily and did the Lord's Supper and had meals in each other's house. This moment is a revival in Jerusalem. That's not a picture of how the church should permanently be. Because how many times after Acts chapter 2 do you see the people in Samaria selling their stuff and moving to Jerusalem to live like this? No, this is a momentary revival where they had to sell things because God's just doing this wonderful revival is when God does something in the 12 years work in 12 months. That's the best way of looking at it. He just does this rapid 3,000 people. More people are saved every day. They're like, we've got to sell land. We've got to help this to happen. But after that revival was done, remember Jesus' initial promise. He's like, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He's like, don't stay here. Go out. And I don't say that to ease up the expectation of you and I. What I say it for is some people feel so convicted. They're like, but I haven't sold everything I own. I own a house and I own a car. And should I be selling that and giving that to the church? No. Right? You okay with that? No. This is a temporary moment in time thing. We don't see it anywhere else in Acts. Do people quit their jobs and sell all their things and do it? God wants you to be a minister of the gospel at your job. God wants you to be a faithful steward of Christ with the money he gives you. Don't see it as a hot potato. You just got to throw it away. Save up. Do things. Bless people. We want business people earning millions of dollars, starting doing incredible things. And we want you to do that. Anyway, I just felt like I had to say that. Sometimes people get convicted by Acts 2, like we should be living like that. Now, it's a beautiful demonstration of what God did in a moment. But there are three things that I do think apply to the church uh, abroad and, and for eternal. If we can get those other three points up. Baptism should result, result in community, devotions, miracles. So what we see in verses 41, 42, 43 is that they did meet together. They did share food together. They did come around the apostles' teaching. There was devotion to the apostles' teaching. And they, they, they devoted themselves to the Word of God and the apostles' teaching. And then verse 3, and their awe filled them all. And the apostles did many mighty miracles. So I'm just going to touch on this because it sounds like some people 
aren't following or don't like it, but you need to go. These things need to happen in our church. We are striving to create community. You were not created to do life alone at any point. I've said it before and I say it again. It, it, it blows my mind. The UK has recently appointed a minister of loneliness. They are calling loneliness an epidemic. You are not created to do life alone. You are created to be in community. And being in community means you'll need to give up some of your personal freedoms, but see it as a healthy investment. That's let go of those to say yes to the wonder of community. There is no strength in living alone, getting to do what you want, when you want. We call those toddlers. They want to do what they want, when they want. And then you become a young adult. You see, I can't do what I want, when I want. I still want it, but I can't do it. And then you become an adult and with kids, and you're like, I, I can't do anything I want, when I want. I can't even go to the toilet when I want, when I want. Like, kids are just, ah, Dad, can you open this jar? Come, come on now, I'm sitting on the toilet. There's... There's things in community. There are things of you being a member here that you might not like and might not cater to all your freedoms and it won't all revolve around you. And I want you to see the beauty of that. There's strength in that. There's goodness in that. That's community. Another thing, I just have to say this because I laugh at it so much. There used to be a T2 lane from Logan to Brisbane. Like if you've just got two people in the car, you can use this lane. The lane was constantly empty and all the other lanes were just jam-packed showing the stubbornness of us Aussies. I would rather sit by myself in my car in traffic for an hour than invite a work friend to carpool with me so I can get to work in five minutes. <laughs> it shows... I think it shows a couple of things. One is a stubbornness. Two is a, a laziness. Three is a fear. Sometimes we're just lazy to invite people over for dinner. It's not like we're against people. We're just too lazy to put it on a meal and things like that. Sometimes there's a fear. If I let people into my world, they're going to start to challenge some things. And that's going to be scary. So if I just do life by myself, I don't have to bring up those things. I don't have to face those fears. I don't have to face those addictions. I don't have to face the way I live my life. But there's health all the time. We have community. There is health in devotions all the time. Devote yourself to the Word of God. Submit yourself. We're going to launch small groups again in uh, five, six weeks. We are so darn excited. Our core team just had a meeting this morning getting the final touches on it. We want us to devote ourselves together to the Word of God. We want to devote ourselves together to the teaching of the apostles. I, I would not be dumb enough to go, I'm an apostle, devote myself to all my teaching. I think that's talking about Scripture. Okay? not saying my teaching's wrong. I'm saying the weight that the original apostles had, Galatians 2 are things that talks about it, like it was the built up, Jesus was the cornerstone, the bricks were the apostles teaching and the prophets, like there's so much weight in uh, the, what the apostles brought us in the New Testament. We're going to devote ourselves to the Word of God, amen? And then, and I need us to get this order right, and I hope it's not seeming too random for you, it flows naturally in Scripture, I want it to flow naturally for us. They had communion. They devote themselves to the Word of God. Miracles naturally flowed after that. Don't chase miracles if you're not willing to be in community and know the Word of God well. People are like, oh, I, I want to see arms growing back and people getting out of wheelchairs. And okay, Do you read the Word of God? Have you done any study? You're part of a local church. You submitted to a leader there? No, I don't think those things are necessary. Scripturally, again and again and again, what we see is miracles are always a natural overflow 
of a disciplined believer. Miracles are not, signs and wonders are not the goal of a Christian. Committed discipleship is the goal of a Christian. Miracles flow from that. If you chase miracles, they will run away. They were never meant to be chased. They were meant to chase you as you preach the gospel and live the gospel, show the gospel. We want to see miracles here, but guess what? We're not chasing them. I'm chasing Jesus. I want to bring him in because some people won't get healed on this altar when I pray for them, but God's doing a beautiful work in their heart in that time, and I'm not going to see that as a failed, failed, failed prayer, should be saying. I'm not seeing that as a failed prayer. I'm seeing it as God is not ready yet to bring that miracle. He's doing another miracle in their heart. He's doing another miracle in their life. He's doing another miracle in their mind. We expect them to happen when we put Jesus front and center. Amen? Can I get the band up, please? I think we've done it. Maybe a little bit over. There's beauty in devoting your life to Jesus Christ. There is strength in devoting your life to Jesus Christ and His church. There is an incredible thing waiting for you on the other side of your commitment to Jesus and His church. What we say again and again and again is, as you are right now, every single one of you, I promise you my conviction, as you are now, you are loved by Jesus Christ. And there's more. There's more. You, you are loved. You cannot be any more loved by God, but there's more. You can't be any more loved, but you can experience that love way more than you've ever experienced it. You can feel that love. You can be filled with that love. That love can change your very being if you will let it. If you will let it. You are loved by God, but there's more. If you say yes to Him, if you push into Him, if you say no to you being the Lord of your own life, say yes to Him being God of your life, there's so much in that. There's so much freedom, so much joy, so much peace. You are loved.